0: CHAPTER 6 OF THE GREAT SINNERS OF THE BIBLE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. CAMPING ON THE ROAD TO SODOM Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Genesis chapter 13, verse 12 If you want to prove the size of a man— you must take a time when he is under pressure. Take a company of men who are at ease, all prosperous and contented, and they may seem to be very much alike. But put the same men under the stress of some great emergency, when you have a chance to prove the metal that is in them, and you will be astonished to see what diversity there is in the group. One man will prove to be a hero, and another a coward. One will be generous and unselfish, while another will be stingy and mean." Abraham and Lot, living together as uncle and nephew, seemed very much alike, but when there came to be strife between their herders, and there was a problem on hand to be settled, Abraham looms up large and gracious and noble, while Lot becomes lean and shriveled under our gaze. It was a magnanimous thing for Abraham, the older man, to offer to Lot his choice of territory when it seemed wise that they should separate their flocks. And if Lot had been on the same moral stature as his uncle, he would have refused to take advantage of Abraham's generosity and have insisted on his great relative having the first choice. But Lot was essentially a little man. He had a great greed for money. He was religiously inclined, and, having been brought up to serve God, and living all his life under the shadow of Abraham's gracious influence, he purposed in a general way to be a good man. But there was a deeper, overshadowing purpose to get rich. Lot's purpose was in harmony with the advice given by the old farmer to his son. My boy, get rich. Get rich, honestly, if you can. But in any event, get rich. Lot looked out over the plain toward Sodom and he saw that it was a very well-watered and fertile country, by far the richest pasture land in the entire region. One great drawback to it was that it bordered on Sodom, and Sodom was infamous throughout all the world of that day for its wickedness. To a man who had a family growing up, this was no unimportant matter, but it no doubt made a good market for cattle, and Lot reasoned that it was better for him to take the risks of moral degeneration than, as a great cattle raiser, to lose the beef trade of Sodom. So, Lot says, I'll take the valley and pitch my tent toward Sodom. Now, it is useless for us to revive this old story of a far-off past unless we apply it to ourselves, for these stories never lose their value, because the great struggles of human nature are always the same. I doubt not that some who are listening to this discourse are at the same place, where the roads diverge and are tempted to make their camp on the road toward Sodom. Lot found it a bad choice, and so will you. Lot found that the wickedness of Sodom poisoned the air of all the plains, and so do men who thrust themselves into evil associations today. Julia Ward Howe says that some forty years ago, in company with her husband, Dr. Samuel G. Howe, she visited Cuba. Dr. Howe there made the acquaintance of a noble Cuban, advanced in age, a teacher who for years had done everything in his power to give the youth of the country a training in accordance with the progress and spirit of the time. He was closely watched by Spanish officials, but was so beloved and honored by the people that the government was reluctant to interfere with his work. Mrs. Howe one day accompanied her husband to call upon this venerable sage, whose name was Don Pepe de la Luz. During the conversation, the old man said, Doctor, what we need here is that air of which you and I were speaking the other day. That air, you know. When they were by themselves, she asked her husband what air it was of which Don Pepe was speaking. And he said, It was the air of freedom. So there is such a thing as an atmosphere of reverence toward God and of respect for righteousness. While Lot lived with Abraham, He enjoyed that sort of an atmosphere. Wherever Abraham went, he built an altar to God. Angels were his visitors, and there was an atmosphere of thanksgiving and prayer pervading the life of the home. Compared to such an atmosphere, Sodom was hell itself. There was no such thing as prayer, or spiritual song, or conversation in that wicked city. This explains the moral degeneration of many young men and young women who come from home, either on the farm or in some smaller town, to live in the city. They have been accustomed to a religious atmosphere. The Bible has been a respected and loved book among the people with whom they have associated. They have been accustomed to attend public church services, regarding the Sabbath day as sacred, and prayer has been the daily atmosphere of life. They come to the city and are thrown into a different air. They associate with people who do not pray, who do not read the Bible, and who seldom go to church. It is an air poisoned with irreverence and skepticism of sacred things. If not definitely immoral, it is permeated with the smoke of Sodom and has the smell of Sodom in it. A man who gives himself up to that kind of an atmosphere has pitched his tent on the road to Sodom. He may not have gone to Sodom yet, but he is camping on the way, and it is only a question of time before he will have settled down to live in the midst of its godlessness and wickedness. There is perhaps not an incident in the Bible that more clearly suggests the danger of an evil tendency, a false current, than this story of Lot pitching his tent toward Sodom. If you had asked Lot the next week or the next year if he were going to move to Sodom to live— he no doubt would have denied it. He would have declared that he had no such intention. Perhaps one of Lot's faults was that he lacked definite moral decision. He was getting ready to go to Sodom all the time, though he did not know it. If you had asked Abraham if he were going to Sodom to live, you would have heard a no with such a blunt emphasis about it that you would never have forgotten it. One of the most dangerous things to the building up of a really successful career is the lack of a definite vital purpose to do a noble thing. It is so in the ordinary business affairs of life. A man without a strong and definite plan is likely to go to the wall and to fail of worthy achievement. Owen Meredith says of one of his characters, With irresolute finger he knocked at each one of the doorways of life and abided in none. The man who seeks one thing in life, and but one, may hope to achieve it before life be done. But he who seeks all things wherever he goes, only reaps from the hopes which around him he sows a harvest of barren regrets. A popular novelist makes one of her young women ask of a young man, Have you made any plan? Yes, he said, the words coming in jets, with pauses between. I will travel first. I will see the world. Then I will find work. She made a little impatient movement and said, That is no plan. Travel, see the world, find work. If you go into the world aimless, without a definite object, dreaming, dreaming, you will be definitely defeated, bamboozled, knocked this way and that. In the end, you will stand with your beautiful life all spent and nothing to show. They talk of genius. It is nothing but this, that a man knows what he can do best, nothing else. It does not matter what you choose. Be a farmer, businessman, artist, what you will. But know your aim, and live for that one thing. We have only one life. The secret of success is concentration. Wherever there has been a great life, or a great work, that has gone before. Taste everything a little. Look at everything a little, but live for one thing. Anything is possible to a man who knows his end and moves straight for it, and for it alone. And this is as true when it comes to the great questions of moral character. You're getting ready to be either a noble man, a holy, saintly woman, or a moral failure. I'm not asking what you are tonight, but on what road are you camping? Abraham went on his way, camping out and living in tents also. But while Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, Abraham pitched his tent toward a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Every day brought each of these men toward the end of his career, and every step took them farther apart. We see men making the same choices now. Two young men come from the same town to build their careers in the city. One goes at once to church and identifies himself with a Sunday school and the prayer meeting and Christian work. He becomes acquainted with that kind of people. In a business way, he may know many sorts, but he makes his fellowships and friendships among the men and women who worship God and are helping to make the world better. These friendships become like a wall about him. They commit him to a righteous life. They are his tent, which he pitches toward heaven. He is not a saint yet, but his tent is pitched on that road. Every day and every year of such a life brings him farther along the way of robust Christian character. The other young man, while not intending or purposing to be a wicked man, thinks, perhaps, that he has been brought up too strictly, and now that he is in a new community, without the restraints of home, he can look around a little and see the world. He soon finds that the people who are seeing the world, are of a different class from those with whom he has been acquainted. There is about them a certain carelessness and dash, a certain freedom from responsibility, yes, a certain recklessness, that fascinates him. The theatre, the card table, the wine glass, are now, as they have always been, the favorite diversions of people who are seeing the world. He forms his associations among such people." He is more likely to make friends with the worst of them than the best. He may or may not succeed in his business. He may or may not advance as a lawyer or doctor. But morally, he steadily loses. He loses his keen reverence for the Bible. The prayer meeting and the Sunday school seem slow and heavy to him after the glamour of some play that has been spiced with a dash of wickedness. Not enough to make him revolt against it, but just enough to awaken the daredevil that is in him. He may or may not fall into outbreaking sin that will shame and disgrace him, but the very air he breathes in such association will dull the edge of his moral sensibilities, will cool his ardor for religious conversation, and will surely and steadily draw him onward on the way to Sodom. Do not doubt that to be on the road to Sodom is to get to Sodom sooner or later if you do not turn around and go the other way. Lot made a bad trade after all. I do not know just how much wealth he laid up. He may have become very wealthy and have retired into Sodom to live on the interest of his money. But he was finally a loser. For when Sodom was burned up because of its wickedness, he lost everything he had and barely escaped with his life. Mortgages on property in Sodom are always a bad investment. It is a bad thing to go on a path where success will mean failure. One of the saddest things one ever reads went rounds a little while ago concerning George du Maurier, the author of Trilby. While he was sick and on his deathbed, a friend referred to the success of Trilby as a book and as a play, whereupon du Maurier sadly replied, Yes, it has been successful, but the popularity has killed me at last. Many men are destroyed by their own success. Lot succeeded and lost everything. Du Maurier succeeded but lost his life. And many men here in Cleveland are succeeding only to find remorse and ruin at the last. I would like to say with power to any young man here, who is trading the prayer meeting in which he was brought up for the card party or the theater, that, fascinating as the exchange may seem, he is pitching his tent towards Sodom, and the end will be disastrous. I want to say to any youth who is choosing his companions from among the irreverent and reckless, because they seem gayer than Christians, that every such friendship is a tent on the road to Sodom. Many a young woman has gone down the road to Sodom in such a friendship, and married a man who lived there, and afterwards found herself dragged into Sodom to her lifelong sorrow. I want to say to every young man, or young woman either, who is beginning to dally with a glass of beer or the bottle of wine, you are pitching a tent on the way to Sodom, and there are no tents that move so rapidly as on the path of stimulant and intoxication have the courage to break up every such camp while you may. The very people who are tempting you will respect you a great deal more for such courage. When General Clinton B. Fiske was in command of the military district of St. Louis, it became his duty, on occasion, officially to receive and welcome to that city an eminent major general coming to take command of the military department. General Fiske met his commander, on the east side of the river, and escorted him to the hotel, in which he engaged a suite of rooms. As soon as they were within the parlour, at once assuming the place of host, and ready to treat the other officers as his guests, the Major-General ordered a servant to bring four whiskey-punches. "'Only three, if you please, General, excuse me,' promptly and courteously spoke General Fisk. "'You'll not refuse to drink with me, will you?' said the superior officer." If I should drink now, it would be the first time. You would not advise me to begin now, would you, General? No, God bless you. Long may you wave, was the gracious and gallant response. How I would add to the peace of hundreds of young men in this city, if I could inspire them to-night to follow that courageous example. I cannot close without urging upon any who are camping on the way to Sodom to break camp this very hour and turn the other way. True, Lot was saved when Sodom was burned up, but what a salvation! He was saved as by the skin of his teeth. He was plucked as a brand from the burning. He lost his property, he lost his wife and his children, and old and bankrupt and broken-hearted, he crept out of that horrible desolation. Don't look forward to such a salvation as that. But now, While youth and strength are yours, break up the camp that has its tent door open towards Sodom, and pitch your tent with the people of God, who, like Abraham, build an altar of worship wherever they go. Breaking camp is an open matter that everybody can see, and so the more boldly you turn about and confess your sins, the happier it will be for you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. During the last great plague and famine in India, many people brought still greater horrors on themselves because they would hide away the corpses at the back of their hovels. When the dead cart came around, they said there were no dead in the house, and so the decaying body was left to poison the atmosphere and kill many that would otherwise have escaped. To try to hide our sins or cover them up is like that. They will poison all our lives. Whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper. It is better to bring our own sins to the light now and have them forgiven than to keep them covered up for a time and have them drag us to judgment and doom after a while. End of chapter 6